0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShall from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org.
1: I'd like to welcome those of you that are joining us online. Um, uh, Welcome to our service. Uh, You know, we've been covering, uh, Pastor Tom last week spoke about uh, covenants and we had the the men's graduation then. Uh, Today I'm going to carry on where he left off. I'm going to... Pick up on covenants. But our predominantly in this service, please do not be offended. Be speaking to men. Because we're entering into a strong season of entering his promise. And the Bible says that the children of Israel failed to enter into God's promise because their hearts were hard and they they had unbelief. Twelve spies went into the promised land and came back with a bad report and made the people's hearts faint. Those 12 people were men. So if men don't take their place, if men don't rise up and stand up and believe God's word and lay possession of it, we may not lay, pos- lay, uh, lay hold of God's promises in this season. So while I speak to men, this will speak to you as a woman as well. Uh, so I ask you to forgive me in advance, but this is for all of us but we do want our men to rise up. We do want our men to be strong. We do want them to be strong and courageous and lead us into what God's promises are in this season, amen? So if you have your Bibles with you, I would like you to open your Bibles to John 17. We're gonna begin now. And um, I just wanna outline Just as a framework, and the title of today's message is, What's Your Name? This is part one of the message. We're going to do part two in the second service. And in the second service, the title will be Spies or Soldiers. So this one is, What's Your Name? The second service will be a different message. It will be on spies and soldiers, all pointing us to laying possession uh, or hold of what God's promises are. So the first thing I want to outline is when God establishes blood covenant and when we read about blood covenants in the Bible, there are nine basic steps. I don't have the time to go through each one, but we're going to cover some of the important steps of covenant and why they're important. So step number one, when covenant is being cut, is there's an exchange of robes. And this basically signifies identity. It's an exchange of my total being with the one I'm I'm covenanting with. Secondly, we exchange belts. Now, belts is not the belt that holds up my trousers. Belts then held up your weapons. So we're giving of our armor, our strength. We're exchanging. We're saying, your strength is now my strength. My strength is yours. There's the cutting of the covenant. This is basically dying to self. They would cut an animal and and lay it in half, as Pastor Tom said last week, and they would Each walk, the figure eight in that, the complete figure, unbroken, which means we're each dying to ourselves so we can live in us. And this is a partnership unto death. There's a mingling of blood, which signifies new life. Our life is now one. We swear allegiance to one another. Then there's a making of the scar. Abraham had the scar of circumcision. And there was a witness and a testimony that he was a covenant man. So each one would have a scar. Then there was an exchange of names, which also signified identity, which now says, I'm identified with you, or we're identified with each other. They would exchange last names, even in in a marriage. That's why we say, yes, Lobola honors man, but don't end there. There's a process which is called covenant, which honors God. So we do everything right by man and by God. So God recognizes covenant. While man recognizes lobola, and that's honoring, that's fine. God recognizes covenant, and these steps must be outlined even when we talk about marriage. There's the reciting of the covenant terms, which is the recital of vows. Which basically says, now we're exchanging. My assets are your assets, my liability is yours. What's mine is yours. And we cement the terms of the covenant together. Then we eat a memorial meal together. That's the bread and the wine. Jesus did this in communion when he broke. He says, and and, and it's basically saying, uh, we are now a part of each other. Then we plant a memorial tree which is a memorial of the covenant, which says from now on, from this point on when we look at this, what we've just agreed to seals us as friends. So we see that this pattern in the Old Testament is a type and shadow that points us to the real thing, the new covenant that you and I enjoy in Jesus Christ. And all these steps were covered in there. Now I'd like us to go to John 17 because I'm going to, Focus, hone in on two things this morning. But in John 17 from verses 6 to 20, it's quite a long reading. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to seal this covenant that he's about to uh, lay his life down for he became the sacrifice. The mingling of the blood was his. The covenant terms were the word of God The scar were the scars that he bore on the cross. The memorial was the cross itself. We exchanged names. We are now known as Christians. He is the Son of Man. We exchanged belts. He he gave us his armor. And he took on our infirmities, he took on our weaknesses. You and I are not our own. We're bought at a price. We're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. So these things are real. So Jesus is about to seal this by being crucified. He himself was a sacrifice. He laid his life down. The cutting of the covenant was Jesus Christ himself. So in John 17, his last prayer for his disciples, don't you think it would be important for us to look at what that would be before the covenant is cut? Jesus says from verse six, I've manifested your name. Every time I mention your name in your Bible, underline your name or your word, or your words. Every time that is mentioned, highlight it. I've manifested your name to the men which you've given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have made known to all, they have known that all things you have given me are from you, for I have given them your words, which you have given me, and they have received them, and have made, and have known surely that I come forth from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for those in the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I no longer am in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Now Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may, not, that, that they may be one as we are one, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those you gave me, I have kept. None of them have been lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world Just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world. Just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I now send them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. And they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but for all those who believe me through their word, that we may be one, and all may be one. Jesus, in his prayer to the disciples, specifically mentions two aspects. He highlights two aspects he gives us in the new covenant that give us victorious living in this world. Number one is his name. Number two is his word. Jesus says that he's manifested his name to his disciples. God's, he's manifested God's name to the, to the disciples and in this world, he should keep them in, the, in God's name. Jesus teaches his disciples that when they pray, they should pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Which means that name is precious. He says, when I was in the world with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus is with us in the world. He keeps us through his name. The name he bears from his father, that we would be one as he is one. Those, he mentions that those that have kept, that are kept in his name are those that receive. The word, verse 8, and those that keep the word, verse 6, which is do the word. The word is given so that we may choose to believe it and do it. Like Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now we see that when Abraham cut covenant with God, when God sorry, when God cut covenant with Abraham, There was an exchange of names. God himself put his name on Abraham. That Abraham would forever walk the earth, not as by the name that man gave him, but by the name that God gave him as the father of many nations. God himself then took on Abraham's name. There was an exchange of names. He became known from that point as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whenever he showed himself on the earth, he showed himself through the name of Abraham. He identified himself by his covenant partner. God is looking for men he can covenant with and put his name on so he may have access to the earth. Men who are strong, men who are committed. Men who cut covenant with him. So that when God wants to do his work on the earth, he identifies you by the name he's given you. You see, God's moved by his word. He does not respond to your crying. He does not respond to our manipulation. He does not respond to any trickery. God responds to his word. And when he comes looking for you on the earth, you better see his name on you. He better see his word on you because that's what will give him access to do his bidding, to do his will on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there was an exchange of names. Abraham's name was written in heaven, huh. Jesus, the, 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 the people knew that there was Hades, and Hades was a holding place. That's, that's a whole other thing, but let me just tell you this. There was Hades, and that was a holding place for the dead before judgment came. Jesus came and revealed a beautiful pra- place, which was paradise he called it abraham's bosom when he told the story of lazarus and the and the rich lazarus and the rich man he said abraham's name is in heaven the covenant man's name is written in heaven as god's name is written on him here on earth in luke 10 we see the story of jesus sending the the disciples two by two into A city before him. And he says, go and preach and say the kingdom of God's near. The the disciples come back and they're rejoicing. And they say, Lord, 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 Lord. Even the demons are subject to us at your name. Jesus responds this way. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I give you authority to trample on snakes and on scorpions. But, but, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice that your name, he says, no. This is, this is not the awesome thing. This is a byproduct of you identifying with my name. This is a byproduct of you taking on my name. When you take on my name, the demons, the serpents, the scorpions will bow down to you and have authority over them. And then Jesus says, this so that my joy is fulfilled in you. He says, I rejoice. Jesus in his spirit, read that. He says, Jesus in his spirit rejoiced greatly. Why was he rejoicing? Where was his joy? Here's the divine exchange from covenant. Jesus' joy was here on earth. Your joy is what is in heaven because that's where your name is. The divine exchange. Jesus' joy is in in you and I, is in men, is in women here who say, Lord, I'm in covenant with you. Lord, you can use me. Lord, I'll do your bidding in your name. Whatever I confront in the world, I don't confront in my name. I don't confront in the name that man's given me. I don't confront by the identities of this world. I confront in the name of my covenant partner. And he says, when you confront in the name of your covenant partner, you have authority to trample on snakes, on scorpions, on all the enemies of God. And he says this, Jesus himself will rejoice in the spirit when he sees Satan fall from heaven here on earth. But he says your joy is not what's happening on earth. Your joy is where your covenant partner is resident, that your name is written in the book of life. Your name is written in heaven. Who? How many of us have our names written in heaven? If you will not allow God's name to be written in you here, your name cannot be written in heaven. No matter how pretty you look, no matter how much you have, no matter how much you are known, no matter how famous your name is before man, if it is not the name that God gave you, if it is not the name that God calls you, if it is not the name that God gives God access on the earth, if it is not the name that gives God's joy on the earth, you're lost. You are not a covenant person. You still go by the name Abram instead of Abraham. Look, look, look at what happened in, in, in chapter 9. In chapter, Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends the same disciples. Just before chapter 10, Pastor Niki, he sent the disciples, same place, he says, go out. He sends them two by two, go. But the report was not like the report in chapter 10. Because number one, they came back and they didn't report of any demons fleeing. Number two, in fact, when they came back, they were confronted by a demon in a child and they could not cast it out. And then the man came and said, these disciples of yours, I've come to you, Lord. They can't cast out this demon. Then straight after that, They have an argument about who is the greatest. The Bible says Jesus perceiving what was in their hearts. You see, you cannot confront the worldly system with the greatness of your name in your heart. These guys needed the greatness of their name dealt with. So Jesus says to them, hey, perceiving what they did, he says, hey, takes a little child puts him on and he says whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Now most people have misquoted what that was about. Jesus was teaching them about the power of his name. He says it doesn't matter that it's a little child it doesn't matter. This little thing becomes big and honorable if they bear my name. If you put my name on them. John is shocked by what Jesus has just said. Because they're arguing about words. He says, Lord, but there are people who are casting out demons in your name. But they're not following us. And he says, hey, if they're not against us, they are for us. The power of his name the disciples got a big lesson that day because then in chapter 10, they go out in his name and the demons are subject to them. Revelations 3 says this He says, To him who's overcome, he has been clothed in white. Exchange of robes, identity. Remember? There's an exchange of robes, clothed in white. And his name is written. It will never be cancelled in the book of life. Why? You have the identity of God. You now bear the identity of God. Jesus mentions that there was only one who was lost. The one who was lost is the son of perdition. Uh, Judas. Why? Judas betrayed Jesus. He refused God's name. He refused God's name and his word it led to his destruction. Even though he walked with the Son of God, even though he saw the Son of God, even though he heard the Son of God, but because betrayal was in his heart and he would not take on Jesus' name, he exchanged Jesus' name for temporal benefit, for 30 pieces of silver. He exchanged his eternal destiny. And he died in a field which is 30 pieces of silver bought. There are men who are dying today over the treasures they have exchanged for temporal benefit when they've exchanged their eternal value. Men who choose to run by their name here on earth instead of the name that God's given them. God says these men, these men who reject their birthright I hate. You know, My name here on earth speaks to my birthright. On your ID, your ID, national ID, there's that letter, something. Your surname points us to the village you come from. Yes? It speaks to your identity and who your chief is. Your name here on earth. So, it speaks to my birthright and what's my inheritance and what I... Can, can access by my chief. You have an ID in heaven that speaks of where you come from. Most of us choose to live by the ID on earth instead of God's ID in heaven. There's a man who did just as, 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 as Judas did. He forsook his birthright. He looked down on his birthright. On earth here, if you sh- it's a shameful thing if you if you despise your birthright. Esau did that for temporal benefit, for a bowl of soup. He desp- and he despises. He gave away his birthright. He says, "What what what benefit is it to me? I'm hungry now." Most men are exchanging the eternal birthright for a bowl of soup, for a moment of pleasure, for the next woman they can sleep with, for a moment of lust. For the next bribery they can pay. And you exchange and you go by the name here on earth. For the name. That's on. I've heard all sorts of things. Oh, but Jacob was a surplanter. Yes, Jacob was a surplanter. But he knew the value of God's name. He knew the value of a birthright. And when God came and dealt with him, it's not that God overlooked his sin. But God saw a man who valued his name. God saw a man who valued his word. And God wrestled with him and changed his name to the name that God would give him. He moved from supplanter to the name God would give him. There are names this earth, this world has given you and I because of compromise that God wants to change. But you've got to value your birthright. The name of God's got to be important. Another man, David. David, his brothers are have gone fighting in an army. David is a shepherd. God sends him, his father sends him to take cheese to the the battle line. He gets there and his brothers for 40 days are not fighting God's enemy. They're not fighting God's enemy. They're listening to God's enemy, entertaining God's enemy, and ooh, afraid of God's enemy. When David hears that, he steps onto it and he says, hold on one second. Who is this uncircumcised? Philistine, who defies the armies of God. David was speaking covenantal language. You are saying, I bear the scar of covenant. This bugger does not bear the scar of covenant. So I'm not interested in how small I look. I'm not interested in that I don't have military training. I'm not interested in the fact that I bear the name of a covenant partner. So when, when, when Goliath comes at him, and Threatens him with his big spears and his big, big, big shields and his big, big daggers. David says to him, Hey, I have armor you know not of. I exchanged. You come at me with sword, spears, and javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord. I don't now bear the name of the Lord God's looking for men who can stand up and say I bear the name of the Lord and it doesn't matter what your weapons look like for your weapons of your weapons are not carnal but they are mighty in pulling down strongholds and everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ God's looking for a man that's not looking at natural weapons. Man, that throws down the armor of soul and says that I have an armor of God that makes me stand. Why? Because I bear his name. Are you that man? I'm here to ask you, what's your name? What's your name? You better come to a place where your name's from God. Second thing, Jesus revealed. Pray for me. Pastor needs grace here. I have 10 minutes. I'm going to skip an interesting story about Asa, David's great grandson. Because he did that. God fought on his behalf because when he was leading Judah, trying to do right by God, the army came up, the army of the Cushites came up against him. He cried out to God and he said, God, we come to you, we appeal in your name. In your name. That's covenantal language. God said he went before him. God wants to go before men. God wants to go before women who go and carry his name. But this man made a stupid mistake. After God gives him peace and God fights for him and he uses God's name, he forgets his relationship with God. Because when another army rises up against him, Ben-Hadad rises up against him, Asa takes the silver and gold from the temple, all of it, and goes to a man and says, hey, here it is. Here it is. Come and side with me against Ben-Hadad the prophet comes and says you have done a foolish thing wasn't god with you when you called upon his name when the kushites you've enjoyed 36 years of peace because of god now you take what is god's and you put it you put your trust in the name of a man do you not know you've been bought at a price and he says to him god is looking he roams to and from the earth looking for a man to show himself strong through. God is roaming to and from the earth, looking for a man to show himself strong through. And it's only the man that fully trusts in him. Even when the pressure hits, even when the pressure hits to pay a bribe, even when the pressure hits when temptation comes, even when the pressure hits when the marriage is on the rock, he's looking for a man that will call out on the name of the Lord. Why? Because the, the Bible says in Psalms 124, our help is in the name of the Lord. Jesus reveals part two. Part two is this. He says, I've given them your word. I've given them your word. Keep them. You see, while his name keeps us while we are in this world, because he says they're in this world, I've given them your name. His word keeps us from worldliness. He says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. We know we've been told what sanctification is. It's the process of being set apart. It's the process of being made holy as he is holy. He says, sanctify them. Keep them from oldness by a truth. His word is his covenant terms with us. Jesus prays that we are not taken from the world. But we stay in it. But know that we are not of the world. Psalms one nineteen nine 9 says this How can a young man keep his way pure? By yeeding your word, by obeying your word. His word is the one that cleanses us. His word is the one that purifies us. His word is the one that makes us holy as he is We're holy. We overcome the God of this world, Satan, by his word. God has given us his word through Christ. John 17, 18 says this, it says, as Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, now I send them into the world. For their sakes I have sanctified myself. Now they also may be sanctified. Jesus Christ himself overcame the world by living a sanctified life. By obeying the word of his father Now in the same way he's saying I'm sending you into the world To obey my word And my word will sanctify you Will keep you from worldliness He says I do not pray for these alone This is is the interesting part I don't pray for these alone But for everyone who will believe Listen to this, listen to this Not because of God's word, but because of their word. Ooh, ooh, that they may be one as we are one. This is an amazing revelation. You see, God does not violate himself. He gave dominion to the earth, on earth, to man. So he intervenes in the affairs of man on earth through man. Now he says the rest will believe Just as you have sent me and I kept your word And they believed The rest will believe At my word That has become their word The divine exchange We have exchanged vows They'll believe because There is perfect unity Between my word and God's word Perfect unity because I've kept his word. When God looks down on earth, he rejoices because there's a man who's kept his word and men will believe. He says, go ye and make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Go ye and make disciples of the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded me. Lo, I am with you always. Wow. At their word. This is powerful. The fusion. Being a prophet is this. Being prophetic is this. It's not reading an ID number. It's not reading the weather. Being prophetic is speaking what God's speaking. That's what being prophetic. And the Bible says you and I are kings, priests, and prophets. We speak what God speaks. There's perfect unity between God's word and my word. They cannot be perfect unity between God's word and your word if you've not been trained in the word. That's why we are passionate, passionate in raising men who will be Christ-like. Because his name gives you identity and speaks of God's identity. His name, his word speaks of his being, who God is. And God wants you and I to become as he is, to become as Christ is, to become Christ-like. So we are passionate at raising men who are Christ-like. We are passionate at raising women who are Christ-like. We do that through our men's movement and we do that through our women's movement. We model Christ-likeness. We do that in our couples through love for life. So if you're a woman here today, you're not left out. If you've not signed up for Roots, sign up for Roots. There are registration desks back there. You'll be with like-minded people who know the value of God's Word, who know the value of carrying God's Word, who know what it is to pursue being like God. Because this is a journey to becoming Christ-like. It's a journey of sanctification, removing and separating ourselves from sin to come into holiness as He is holy. We are wearing God's armor. He's given us His word to do His bidding. So this morning, I want to pray for every man that's here. Every man that's here, I'm calling you to sign up. I'm calling you not only to carry, it's not enough to carry God's name and say, I'm a Christian. You've got to come into being like Him. You've got to go through the sanctification, the transformation process of being like Him, of being Christ-like. So that when the word sees, world sees you, they see Christ. So I want to make a call to men today and the women that love them. I want you to watch this video clip. This Saturday, we launch Be That Man. If you've not signed up, this is your Clarion call. Play that video. All
0: men have three identities they must deal with. The man he thinks he is, the man others think he is, and the man he really is. is a fundamental attribute of manhood that quite literally separates the men from the boys the vast majority of men are not willing to actually put themselves into the fray basically most men in this age are cowards we avoid danger we walk away from conflict we prefer comfort and ease to sacrifice and pain In working with men and studying manhood, I found that wholeheartedness, more than anything else, is the key that unlocks courage in a man's heart. The key to overcoming double-mindedness is to start moving forward. It takes courage to press past double-mindedness. Courage requires us to let go of the past and focus on the present and into the future. A male is a matter of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice. Real men are men who desire to be Christ like in their expression of their manhood. Today, families, communities, and the world need men. My name is Pastor Tom Duchelle, and I'm the senior pastor of Celebration Ministries International. Today, I want to talk to you about manhood and what it means to be a real man.
1: those of you watching us online you are not left out right now they're putting up on the screen registration details on how you can come into a community of men that have committed themselves to not only carry God's name but to keep his word we're going to need each other we're going to need to come together to pursue Christ likeness none of us are that man we're all striving to be that man.
0: Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.